Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale, John Briggs and Theo Chapsalis. Before getting into the discussion today, I just wanted to quickly remind you to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. Another week this week where, well, it's been pretty good for our our key calls, I would say, and that this kind of reflation and recovery theme has really been front and centre of markets' attention, particularly in Europe. So let's go straight there and talk to you, Giles, because we've talked a lot on this podcast before about our um, you know, overall bearish view. We've talked a lot about how we like 1030 steepness, but one part of the curve that we haven't talked so much about is the front end. Um, and it seems to me like the front end is pricing in um, a fairly soon, you know, all things considered, um, hiking cycle from the ECB, which uh, doesn't necessarily fit with how the inflation market is pricing in the, the kind of four year ahead inflation outlook. Um, would you say that is the case? Yes, clearly I would. I mean, really what's happening here is there seems to be either um, you know, a total misunderstanding between front end markets in rates and the inflation market so you know perhaps a miscommunication between markets that really ought to be watching each other a bit more closely or just um an assessment of the ecb and its likely path that is totally opposed to the way that we see things and so we wrote a note uh, last week in which we sort of discussed a little bit of what we thought the you know a realistic kind of reflation path might look like i mean you know there's a bit of a debate going on within our team uh, i i would say around that but you know i think for illustration it's uh, it, it's pretty reasonable where you have um, inflation rising back to 2% in about sort of, you know, between three and four years time. Um, and then you, know, you need to marry that with what the ECB is likely to do. And, you know, we find it very difficult to imagine the ECB really raising rates within the next sort of, well, you know, we're, we're kind of between three years and four years, to be honest with you. Now, you look at the market, what's the market saying? Well, the first full rate hike is priced in first half of 2023. And, you know, we can get into lots of discussions about, um, you know, perhaps the there's a non-linearity in this reaction function because we're at the, the lower bound. And so you have to sort of price in some kind of probability of more extreme tightening uh, from 2023. But, you know, we we don't really see that, and actually, you can you, know, you can do various simulations simulations to just show that that doesn't really work, and as, as an explanation for for the way that the front end is um, is, is approaching things. And so, basically, what we come down to is the conclusion that wrongly the front end of the euro curve is basically just following what it's seeing happen in the U.S. and the U.K., where pricing in the start of a hiking cycle makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, just to lead this through to the ultimate conclusion, what we've been seeing on the European curve recently has been a steepening in the front end. So underperformance of rates around the sort of five-year point and you know, pretty much a flat 
um, dynamic thereafter. So you know, sort of things like the spread between five-year and ten-year, uh, five-year rates and and thirty-year rates, you know, more or less going sideways, or at least doing a lot less than you would otherwise expect. And and we just don't think that's right. I mean, if we're going to have high rate hikes in a couple of years' time, well, I mean, less than a couple of years' time, then really what we're looking at is higher inflation and a pretty aggressive tapering of QE, and that's going to be pretty traumatic for the long end. But just to be clear, really, I suppose, when we talk about this dislocation between um, rates, markets, and inflation, it's not just that rates are pricing in too much of a or too soon of a hiking cycle from the ECB but also that that doesn't marry necessarily with um, a what the market is pricing in for inflation and b what we think about inflation or the market isn't pricing in what we think about inflation going forwards is that right? Well, it's not so much. I mean, to a certain extent, it's it's, it's what we think about it. But no, I mean, the the, the basic insight is that um, what's priced in by the market for inflation doesn't really marry with what the what's priced in for the the ECB, unless we have in mind a much more hawkish ECB than, frankly, is likely. And I mean, it's not. It's not. It, we don't get from our discussions with with investors really all that much that anyone has that in mind. Um, so you know, it's it's very difficult to see where this um, where where this is coming from. And as I say, I, I think it, it probably does come back to a bit of an, an assessment. You know, a basic assessment may be that you know we've had we've had a pretty significant correction in in the U.S. and and, and U.K. rates already. And as we move towards this next phase of the the recovery, which by the way, as you Bondcasters know, we've been <laughs> we've been saying was around the corner for you know, for for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And you really ought to be paying attention to this. It might just be that people are looking at the European market and saying, that hasn't moved much. That's not right. We're in a we're in a, a, a sort of recovery phase now. But then you know, maybe there's just a sort of sectoral kind of, you know, maybe the, the, the front end investors are a little bit more tactical or, you know, or, or something around that. Um, regardless, you know, we think that there are some, um, so some inconsistencies, which basically need to resolve themselves via steeper curves and lower real rates. So that means some combination of lower front end rates and higher inflation. And you know you can be you know you can be clever about it, but it probably just means lower real rates in our opinion. You mentioned um, rightly that we've been talking about this recovery theme for a long time, and that was kind of you know particularly in Europe a, a big driver of our bearish view, which, as I said at, at the beginning of the podcast, has been um, very right. You know we're already through our well at the time of recording through our, our Q2 target of of. Uh, minus 0.1% in 10-year bonds. The view that hasn't been doing as well is the long-end curve steepener. What's been the driver of, of that over the past few days or weeks, would you say? Week or so, I guess. So the long end has been, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, as, as I say, I think that there's possibly been uh, you know some interest in in valuations uh, as we reach some people's notion of what a terminal rate might look like um, you know, an R star whatever you want to call call it you know, something something like the level at which the you know, front end rates will eventually in the fullness of this cycle reach and then just plateau um, I don't think that that's right to be honest with you and as I say you know, 
I think that the the steepening needs to needs to resume. I actually thought you were going to ask me about um, about periphery spreads, Imogen. <laughs> that was my next question. You're jumping the gun. <laughs> okay, quick spoiler. Okay, spoiler then from Giles. What the other view? I didn't want to make it sound like we had too many views that weren't working that well. <laughs> um, the other view that we've had that you know has been a big call of ours through through this year is uh, bullish periphery, Italy in particular. Um, you know, we've been bullish BTP spreads since um, well over a year, I would say. Um, but as rates have risen. Uh, periphery and, and BTPs in particular have been the underperformer and that was always one of the pushbacks that we got you know with having a kind of two key calls being bearish core rates but bullish periphery spreads you know a, a lot of clients always asked us how we could marry the two together um, do we still think that that BTPs can outperform in a rising rate environment Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, that was uh, that that was something which was frequently raised as a potential inconsistency, and it seems to, in the short term, have been exposed as such, right? And uh, and I suppose, you know, we we do have to uh, to ask ourselves, you know, whether we we misjudged that. I mean, the way that we're looking at things still is that the the positives for 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 Italy and periphery overall, to be honest with you, are still cleared there for all to see and haven't really changed to be honest with you and so you know the question I suppose is was there a positioning element that was uh, that's been exposed and I think that that may have occurred nonetheless as we look at the the signals that we normally monitor I would say that if anything you would argue that the positioning is now in the other direction and so then you know, arguably a, uh, a short base and you know, overall, you know, I, I mean, I, I do wonder why people have such such difficulty with um, with this idea that higher rates can actually coexist with a positive environment. I mean, yes, you eventually would, are talking about less support from the ECB, but we are talking about a um, no, di di dynamic which is pretty favourable and a recovery environment that um, that allows you to believe in that. And so, you know, we're not inclined to turn that around just at the moment. All right, well, let's hope the next few weeks bring better news for BTPs. I'm, I'm sure that's the topic we'll return to. Uh, now, another topic which we've returned to over and over again, and I think is really the theme of the moment, um, is inflation, this time in the UK. So we're recording this on Wednesday, and we had um, inflation data out of the UK this morning. Um, can you just uh, give us a run through of, of what that print looked like, Theo, and um, what, I guess, the drivers of that um, inflation print were? Because I suppose that's important at the moment. Absolutely. So uh, we had a print that was very much reminiscent of the US print in the sense of strength. The RPI print that we had today, because this is basically what the market trades are, not, not CPI. Uh, the CPI print came broadly in line with expectations. The RPI print for several technicalities, uh, it was strong and it was strong all across the board. Uh, food inflation was substantially higher. Uh, by the way, restaurant inflation uh, was not higher, so that, that catering component was not higher. But food inflation was substantially higher. We talk about housing, and housing has been very strong, so house prices, and that uh, can be seen as a driver of higher inflation with some technical factors that should have been expected. Motor fuel, for example, um, that was worth around 35 basis points. 
Um, we had, uh, you know, clothing and footwear, which is, again, I mean, it surprised this time to the upside, but it seems that what we have is, is, is an index that has been supported higher from different items but also the pattern, the seasonality, the, the behavior that we, we have been expecting as, 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 as typical, well, it's not so typical. So, I mean, we did mention that there would be a change in seasonal patterns, but it's difficult to estimate them. And yeah, indeed, this time we got a significant change in some of the seasonal items, and that change meant that any weakness that was felt in, the, in, 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 in February and in March, uh, it showed up as strength in, uh, in April. And this is really very, very supportive for the front end on the, of the curve. So this is uh, something for front end inflation. So this was a surprise, a significant surprise. And I think um, this will make a lot of investors uh, revalue their framework uh, in the UK. Does today's number give us much of a guidance or tell us much about price pressures kind of going forward? What's the read across for the market in terms of thinking about inflation over the next few months? Yeah, I think the the message that we get is that you know this print has been has been clearly uh, strong, and because the strength is fairly broad based, it's very difficult to dismiss it as an aberration, as a one off, because it's it's one off all across the place. In fact, you can argue that once we reopen in May, the May print will show additional strength in parts of the economy that have not reopened yet. So. Um, I think it points to, 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 to higher inflation. What is very interesting is also that the market treats this as, 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 as more an inflation story rather than a rate story. So there has not been any additional paying at the front of the curve. So we did well to, uh, you know, uh, to take out those paid positions. So the front has not moved. Uh, longer dated fixed income obviously uh, is selling off. But if the market says to us that, okay, fine, listen, this is a moment where we just need to price in substantially higher inflation in the short term because maybe your longer end is anchored by the short end will have to be anchored at a very higher level. And this is, this is what's going on with, with, with the upcoming prints, which is, I think, something very um, important in the market. And it shows that the U.S., have shown us the way and the UK is pretty much following that way. It's still on track for um, 1% then in your 10 year guilt view, but, but think perhaps the front end has further to reprice. So uh, a flattening are we calling for now? Um, well, I guess there's been, there, there's been substantial pricing already of hikes in the front of the curve. So what I would say is that the market prices in fixed income is cheaper, uh, 1%, we, we stick with that. We've seen some investors that have become more and more bearish. So the view of you know 1% doesn't seem so exciting. Um, but also to be fair, we are range bound uh, since March. So after the big sell that happened in February, which no doubt uh, it created a lot of attention, fine. Uh, there's been excitement in March, but it's difficult to find, it's, it's, it's difficult to see a huge sell-off. Do we see a sell-off in the magnitude of 15 basis points from here? Yeah, possibly. Uh, do we talk about some flattening in 10s, 30s? Yes. So this is something we see as possible. At the front end of the curve, 
And that two cents, for example, uh, I think it will be difficult to see further flattening because we need to get clear guidance from the BOE that they are willing to tighten. So the message that we got this week from Governor Bailey is that they have uh, a symmetric uh, mandate. So they will not tolerate an inflation overshoot, but we also know that they do appreciate very much um, the steps that the Fed has taken in the past, which means that we need to actually see the white of the eye of the hike for those hikes that we already have in the price to be justified. Because mind also that some forwards, for example, the four-year, one-year forward is close to 90 basis points. So we do price in a significant amount of, of hikes. And to me, let's get one first, and then we'll talk about the others. So let's not just uh, try to count out chicken before they hatch all about the central bank reaction function everywhere then isn't it so i guess the other place where well the other big market that we talk about where where it's clearly a big theme to it is the us and you know we had another kind of busy week for data last week john um i think since we've recorded this podcast we had retail sales on friday which was a miss after you know the big upside surprise to inflation so how how are you now thinking about this kind of mix of data that we're having are you are you seeing this as giving mixed messages or what's your latest thoughts on on that yeah i think in the last bondcast we talked a bit about how um the employment report at least the weakness there was more of a labor supply issue in our opinion and that really does seem to be where most of the markets you know come around it wasn't about a loss of momentum in you know the on the growth side of the economy because all the other data has been strong. You can argue that ISM at 60 is a slowdown from 65. That's pretty, still a pretty high number. Um, and retail sales, yeah, missed on the headline, but there were some back revisions and stuff. And it still looks like a very strong launching off point um, you know, as we head into Q2. So you know, the growth side is, is, I think, less in doubt. The real question that's been going through people's mind is inflation. And you know, as, as, as Theo said, you know, US leading the way that we had a very large beat in, in that CPI inflation number. And as these two misses have settled in, it's left a fair amount of people uh, not doing much, <laughs> you know, not putting a lot of risk to work. And, and you can see that because 10-year yields have basically haven't moved, even if you include this, that CPI print in the last eight days. They've basically been range bound. Um, although you have seen some movement in some of the short end forwards and the belly of the curve a little bit, not much, but you know, two year to year, for example, which we like paying at 85 basis points, that's at 92 basis points. We're getting a little bit of movement, but a lot of that is, to be honest, following what's going on in Europe this week, where the you know leadership, certainly in the, at least in the bear uh, moves, has taken over. But you know, the the conversations that I have had very much focused around. Okay, well, yes, I'm an inflationist. I believe inflation's coming. The Fed's gonna have to move. But I also recognize that given the mix of data and the Fed still sticking to its transitory, we might need to see another print or two. Or, you know, I don't think this inflation print is, I, I do believe it, it's transitory. I'm, I'm aligned with the Fed on this. And I don't think it's going to be this strong going forward. And it's just bottlenecks related to the reopening. <clears throat> but I recognize that inflation markets are going to stay well priced for at least a few months, perhaps if not longer. So I can't really do anything there. So in a way, like a lot of the Fed speakers have said, we need to wait for more data. We believe it's transitory, um, but the employment report in particular took the June meeting off the table for us as far as signaling any taper. We're really in a little bit of a waiting period because it feels like there people have their beliefs and whether this data reinforced it or pushed back against it, there is a general sense that we need to see a little bit more information. Um, although underlying all of this is 
a general concern, which you're seeing, in, you know, come through in like equity markets and certainly, you know, the, the financial media is all over it, which, you know, could make an argument that it's a local top, but, um, you know, about wage inflation, about price inflation, about, you know, the push through of all these supply bottlenecks, companies using it to raise prices, you know, various companies raising minimum wage or offering bonuses to hire workers back, you know, so there's a lot of kind of underneath context and, um, angst is too strong, but recognition that even for people who are not big inflationists like myself, that you have to handicap the chance that this could be a little bit different on the inflation side, even for longer and more durable process. But at the same time, even though I'm not a big inflationist, that also argues for or supports our argument that the market needs to handicap some potential that there are higher rate hikes in the out years, which is why we think that you know the pace to be short here is in the belly of the curve, although we recognize that as we wait for this more data, we just might take, you know, another round of CPI and then see how the Fed responds in June before you get any major movements. So I guess that kind of leads on to a question that I'm sure you've probably been asked a lot over the past week, at least, if not longer, but how many inflation prints or how many months of data do we need before the Fed decides that this is or isn't transitory you know what what's the kind of distinction between transitory or not yeah it's a it, it's definitely a topical question and i've even rephrased <laughs> when people say to me like do you think this infl- we think we're gonna get inflation and i'll say look i'm i'm to be honest i don't know this could be different it might not be but i think more importantly is how long will the market give the fed a pass if we continue to see higher than expected prints and yeah. In my opinion, I think so. If you look back to our original timeline, we had always felt that September the Fed would the September meeting was a good base case for when the Fed would start signaling that in you know maybe December, but probably Q1 the Fed would start tapering, right? And that over the summer the market would start thinking about it, and um, maybe we get some speeches. I don't think Jackson Hole is the right forum, but you know maybe your, your Claire does start to hint that this is coming or Powell puts a speech at the New York Economics Club or something on the calendar where he starts hinting at it because, you know, the talk to talk about it. Um, <clears throat> so with, with that timeline in mind, I think it still lines up to answer that question because I don't think that, I think we're on the employment side, you know, is if we're look, if you believe that the expiration of unemployment benefits in September is gonna be a motivating factor, meaning people aren't working because they're getting this checks, which I actually think combines with the fact that you're trying to get frontline restaurant workers back who will earn a low wage, who are at risk from COVID and could be afraid of it, and are getting that benefits. Like it feels like a lot of these jobs, it's not one factor, but a lot of them actually come to the fore. So even if it's a minor factor and you th- think that, or if schools reopening provides you that daycare that you're not having over the summer or because of COVID, you know, if you think that you need to get a job in September, I don't think you're waiting till September to, to start looking for it. So I think on the employment side, things should start opening up, or that labor supply should start increasing over the summer. But more importantly, on the inflation side, I think even as early as next month, if you get a very strong employment report, meaning that all this labor supply discussion was really just the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic and we don't know how to handicap it, reopening an economy like this, and the number just didn't adjust for it, or it was just a timing issue. Um, And it's just a volatile number. If we have a really strong employment report, and then we have another CPI report that's strong, I think the market is going to start, you know, testing the Fed a little bit. 
Um, if you don't have that employment side, so there's, it, it's not a clean answer, but I, I do think that as you head into June and July, if you still have these inflation prints and you're not falling off from the base effects as much as expected, you're going to have the same result. So the, the direct answer is I think that it's not a long time. I think that somewhere into as you head through June, depending on the, the, the May reports that are reported in June, and certainly into July, you know, you only have one or two more strong inflation prints before people say, look, this is already starting higher than you thought. You thought it was transitory. It certainly doesn't look transitory to me. We're willing to give you a month, maybe two, but after that, sorry, you know, you're, we need to test your reaction function. Yeah, that makes sense, I think. Well, all eyes on the data then for the next couple of weeks, it seems. So probably a, a busy few weeks ahead. Well, thank you everyone for joining me this week. And um, just a reminder to all the Boncasters out there that if you liked today's episode, please hit the like button to show your appreciation and click subscribe so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks again, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>